0: Hey everybody and welcome back uh today we're going to be breaking down the fights on the main card of ufc fight night font versus aldo which premieres tomorrow night saturday uh on espn plus it's going to be in the ufc apex in las vegas nevada um pretty good fight pretty good night of fights lined up but before we start getting into it and breaking it down um i wanted to take a few minutes and just talk about some news that's circulating um First thing, I'm a little bit late on this one reacting to it, but there are a couple of big matchups that have been announced. And the first one I want to talk about is Bryce Mitchell versus Edson Barboza. Um, I feel like this is a really great matchup for Bryce Mitchell to kind of go out and prove that he's ready for this upper echelon of guys. He has blown through most of his opponents so far, and his grappling game, man, is something fierce. It's something to seriously be worried about. Um, I feel like when he gets down to the ground, it doesn't matter if you're a high level back black belt, his understanding of guard passing and constant pressure is pretty impressive. And obviously, going up against a guy like Barbosa, who's a very sophisticated, explosive striker, and a guy who also has dealt with the likes of Habib Nurmagomedov, Kevin Lee right? He's seen high-level wrestling before. I mean, obviously, Kevin Lee is not in the same category as Habib in terms of control, right? But he's been in these situations with these high-level guys before. And um, his experience with Habib, I think, will actually lend itself well to this fight. So it's an interesting matchup, this real kind of striker versus... Not that Bryce Harper can't... uh, Bryce Harper. Bryce Mitchell can't uh, strike. He has good stand-up, but you know, I think the real the real advantage for him is going to be if he can get this fight to the ground against edson barboza so a great matchup at 145 pounds really excited for that one uh also bryce mitchell just came out with a new mixtape um if you're into like country rap and stuff like that i guess i listen to a couple songs i guess it's pretty it's not my particular thing so but if you're into it i can see why you would find it good so that's also going on for him so a lot of shit going on for bryce mitchell right now and uh a, a matchup against a name that's going to get him a lot of recognition if he can beat him. If he can beat Edson Barboza, there's going to be a whole new... like, First off, it's going to open up a lot more opportunities for him, but he's going to get a lot more respect from the general public as well. So, big matchup there. And the second one, which is I think even more bigger, more bigger, is uh, Islam Makachev versus Benil Dariush. I was actually talking to my friend a couple of days before this matchup got made, and he was like... And I was like, who do you think Islam should fight? And he made the argument for Michael Chandler. But I think if you look at the landscape of 155 pounds, right? Islam Makachev is not quite ready for a title shot yet. We haven't seen him in a main event. So this matchup solves that, right? And also, people are forgetting what a tear Benil Dariush is on right now, right? I think he's won five or six in a row. Um, in During that, it might be, I can't remember. It's like between five and seven wins in a row somewhere. I guess I could just pull it up, huh? But in that win streak that he's on, he's defeated the likes of Drew Dober, right? Tony Ferguson, and uh, Diego Fajera. Who I think people he kind of fell off a little bit, but when he was coming up through it, man, Diego Fajera was looking dangerous, like he might be a real title contender, right? So the, here I think it's two, four, six, seven fight win streak, right, for Benil Dariush right now. His last loss was to Alexander Hernandez, and that's when Alexander Hernandez came out and kind of, you know, faked the glove touch and started laying into him, right? So, a little bit of, I don't know, regardless, the guy is 21-4, and 4, a black belt in jiu and he's going to present real problems for Islam Makhachev. And I think that if Makhachev can get through him, you got to give him the title shot next, right? Because... Again, let's look at the landscape at 155. I think the fight for Michael Chandler right now that makes the most sense is Conor McGregor. McGregor's lost, like, what, three of his last four fights, obviously coming off injury. And Michael Chandler's been in two wars in his last two fights and lost them both, right? The first one to Oliveira and this most recent one to Gaethje. That's a tough fight on you, so it makes sense to take some time off, maybe fight again towards the middle or even end of the year. Because it's not like you have to take any fights if you are gonna if you think you're going to really get the Conor matchup. And I think that's the fight that makes the most sense. Both those guys, like I said, kind of struggling with losses recently. They're both going to sell massive pay-per-views. They're probably going to headline. They're both going to do good numbers. Obviously, I mean, it's Conor fucking McGregor, right? And it's just an interesting clash of styles. They're both explosive. They both like the stand. Michael Chandler has the wrestling expertise, though, to possibly get this fight to the ground and cause problems for Conor. So... A lot of different dynamics at play in that matchup that I think make that fight make a lot of sense, right? Justin Gaethje fighting Islam Makhachev doesn't make any sense because I think Gaethje has done enough to earn the title shot. And this matchup between Benil Dariush and Islam Makhachev all but guarantees that the winner of Dariush Makhachev is going to get the next title shot, right? So you got Oliveira and Poirier fighting for the belt next weekend. Gaethje going to get the winner of that. And then the winner of Benil Dariush and Islam Makhachev probably fights the winner of that, right? So, a lot going on at 155 pounds, but I think this is the best matchup that they could have made right now. So, we're going to get a real look at whether Islam mak We know he's for real. There's no doubt about that. He did what he did to Dan Hooker. You know he's fucking for real. The question is, is he ready to fight these top-flight guys in the division? And I think he is, but Benil Dariush is going to... hes no. That's not an easy fight, right? To kind of crack into this top five. First main event spot for Islam Makhachev. Um, big deal. That's a, It's a big matchup. All right, what else do we got? Um, Dana White has tested positive for COVID-19. Along with his entire family. He claims that he's vaccinated. I don't know. I don't know any of that shit. But like, in my opinion, you know, you look at all this stuff. And there's all these critics. He says he's going to take the treatment methods that were recommended by Joe Rogan. Which is fine. Like, I think that... If you're in a situation like Dana White, you're probably tested way more often than the general public is, right? Which I think is kind of the most important part. If you can test and detect for it and isolate yourself and prevent spreading it, isn't that the most important part? That's why when people are, like, crucifying Aaron Rodgers in the media, I'm like, wait a minute. Are are you guys concerned about him just taking the vaccine? Or are you concerned about, like, what's actually happening in the, the, you know... The reality of his situation, he's a pro athlete, he's tested on a very regular basis. And the idea that he should have to take some sort of vaccine when he can test regularly and stay away from people when he does test positive, which by the way, is what happened, they detected it. How many fucking people in the general public do you think are vaccinated, but don't know whether they have COVID? Right? That's not a problem for Aaron Rodgers, because he has to go through all these protocols in his job. So In my opinion, if you're going through all those testing protocols and when you detect that you can immediately isolate more effectively than a normal person with the vaccine who can still spread the fucking virus, by the way, why does it matter? I think the same thing about Dana White. I think the same thing about Joe Rogan. These people who are tested regularly for things that they do and have access to these medical medical benefits that the rest of the general public might not have, why are we holding them to the same standard and expecting them to get the vaccine? It's crazy to me. I think the whole debate is stupid. I think Dana White should just do whatever it takes to get better. And when he does get better, we're good. Why, why does it matter if he's doing ivermectin or whatever the fuck you want to call any anybody? Why does any of that matter? So, to me, it's not that big of news. He's probably going to come out on the other end fine. He'll probably be good to go for the fights this weekend. In fact, if he's taking all those treatment methods, I bet he tests negative and is allowed to participate. So, caught it. Isolated. Wait till he tests negative. Why does the treatment method matter? I don't know fuck i don't i don't want to get too it's weird that the whole thing is political but that's what you get when you start talking about this shit right anyway all right another piece of news jeff neal was arrested for a dwi and illegal possession of a firearm in texas on uh i think it was thanksgiving eve it said he was arrested at like three forty-five a.m so he's probably out at the bars or some shit the night before like all of us do The night before Thanksgiving, I don't know about you guys, but where I'm from, Thanksgiving Eve is like the biggest drinking holiday. Like everybody in our hometown goes to the bar. I didn't go this year, but like Wednesday before Thanksgiving, people are getting hammered. So it's like, and also the illegal firearm thing, it sounds worse than it is, I guess, because if you are in possession of a firearm while committing another crime, the possession of that firearm is automatically illegal in Texas, I believe. So. The fact that he was driving while intoxicated is what made the possession of the firearm illegal, I believe. I don't know. He's got a fight next weekend, right? Big matchup against Santiago Ponzanibio. And I think Jeff Neil's one of the most promising welterweights in the entire UFC. So hoping he gets all this stuff straightened out, gets out on the other side of it. I think it's total bond or I don't know. It was like set at like $2,000 or some shit like that. So. I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. And he also voluntarily had his blood work done. So if that comes back at below 0.08, I believe both of the charges on him will be dropped. So interesting to see how that plays out. It was a fuck up, but you gotta be, especially on holidays, man. It's like, you can't drive on holidays. You can't be in your car opera. Even if you only had a few drinks, I just feel like, you know, you know, the fuck. you shouldn't be doing it anyway, regardless. I'm not saying that, but holidays, man, day before Thanksgiving, come on, come on, son. I hope he's still able to fight next week. And I'm really excited about, the potential for Jeff Neal so I hope it's I mean I'm making assumptions I know nothing about the situation at all but this seems more like a kind of like a one-off event right but we'll fucking see hopefully it plays out for him all right one more thing I wanted to talk about and touch on before we start breaking down this main card is Hamza Chemaev and I'm trying to correct how I say his name I've been corrected for it so many fucking times but what do we do with this guy? Like, who do we match him up with? And you know what? The UFC seems pretty keen on trying to make Nate Diaz fight him. And I got to be honest. I think it's complete and total fucking bullshit. You've got this young, hungry guy climbing up through the rankings. And it feels like since Nate Diaz is on the last fight of his contract, he's like a lamb to the slaughter is what you're doing with him. If you give him this fight. And I think Nate Diaz knows that in his heart. I think that he's using the excuse, you know, that like, this guy's a rookie in the UFC. He only has four or five fights. The reality of it is, is that Nate's been around for a long fucking time. He's been in a lot of wars against top guys in the UFC, and you've got this guy who is Nate Diaz. Realistically, challenging Kamaru Usman for the title in your eyes? Fuck no. Is Hamza Shamiyev? Fuck yeah. He's in that like he's in that territory where he's like he's hungry, man. He's young. He's hungry. He wants that shit. Nate Diaz is not. He's not—he's not fighting as religiously as Hamza. This fight, that matchup would make no sense, and you would be doing one of the legends in the sport dirty by giving him this matchup. I don't believe in it. I think Nate Diaz needs to fight somebody like—if the Chandler fight doesn't work out. I love Nate and Conor three. You know, the let's uh, let's get the rubber match going there. Let's line Nate Diaz up against somebody like Tony Ferguson, who's also been around the block. Is probably on the downward end of his career. Let's give this guy a fair fight and something that the fans want to see. As a Nate Diaz fan, the last fucking thing I want to see is to see him go out and get slaughtered by Hamza Trumaev. And then, I'm just being realistic, too. I love Nate Diaz. He can make the fight tough for anybody. I don't see him beating Hamza, right? Just like I don't see him beating the rest of the top guys, right? He made it tough for Leon Edwards, but that's an interesting stylistic matchup, right? Like, Leon Edwards should be the guy fighting someone like Hamza Chimaev, right? And if you're Leon, you take the Nate fight for the money, right? Which I think is kind of what happened there. But regardless... It would be a fucking crying shame to see Nate Diaz go out this way. He needs to. He sh- he should be given a fair matchup, and Hamza Shamiyev needs to fight somebody else in that division. Maybe like a Sean Brady, a guy who just beat Kiesa, some a guy with a strong grappling base who's also young and hungry and competing for the title. Let's be realistic about this shit. You know what I mean? Like let's give come on, let's give Chimaev somebody that like is going to challenge him, and I don't I don't see that happening. With Nate Diaz, and I think it's unfair for all that Nate Diaz has done for the sport and how loved he is. That's it's not how I want to see him go out. So I don't know. That's my take on that. Shamaev needs to fight somebody that's like trying to chase the same things that he is. Let's see what happens when two of these young, hungry guys collide. Not Nate Diaz, man. That make if that fight happens. I don't think it will happen. I think Nate's too fight too smart to accept the fight. But goddamn, the fact that they're even considering it is kind of irritating, right? And that you know that Dana White's probably pushing for it. <sighs> Kevin Lee was released by the UFC. I'll throw like a little card up here or something if I remember so that you guys, but I made another video about it. If you guys want my take, I did it separate from this podcast. So if you guys want my take on that, I'll throw like a little card up here. You can click on to get to it or um, just search my channel. If I forget to fucking do this for the Kevin Lee, my thoughts on the Kevin Lee releasing, I think it was in summary. I just think that Kevin Lee was a guy who got hit with challenges a little bit too soon in his career. And that led people to believing that he was a little bit, Not better than he was. The talent, the potential, it's all there. There's just something about growing into yourself as a fighter and maturing. And I don't think he ever took that route appropriately. So, again, did a separate video on that one. All right. Got over Dana White and COVID. Jeff Neal with the DWI. Better get his shit straightened out. I want to see him fight. Hopefully it doesn't impact his fight. That's mainly what I'm, I mean, like it sounds selfish, but that's mainly what I'm concerned about, right? I don't want to see like the beginning of some spiral. Bryce Mitchell, I literally have written in my notes here, Bryce Harper. Man, fucking, I don't, I don't even watch baseball. So, Bryce Mitchell versus Edson Barbosa. Dariush versus Islam Makhachev. um, That's the appropriate fight that needs to happen at 155. Yeah, I think we hit all the things that I want to cover, at least for now. So, let's move on to the main card. Now, I've been looking at UFC and MMA Junkie, and it seems like the first fight is going to be, it looks like there's going to be six fights, but there's some discrepancy between MMA Junkie and UFC.com. So it looks like MMA Junkie has it listed as like Mickey Gall versus, uh, shit, who is the matchup? I was just looking at it. Mickey Gall versus somebody else. But then the, uh, UFC website has it listed as Brian Barbarena versus Darian Weeks. So I don't know what the six fights going to be. So we're going to focus on the five that I actually studied and, you know, watch the fights. Uh Alex Morona versus Mickey Gall is listed on MMA Junkie. Like I said, I'm going with the five fights that were originally listed on the UFC's website. All right, those are gonna be Brendan Allen versus uh Chris Curtis, uh Jimmy Crute versus Jamal Hill, Clay Guida versus Leonardo Santos, Brad Riddell versus Rafael Fiziev, and Rob Font versus Jose Aldo. So those are the ones that we're going to cover, right? We're going to start off with this middleweight clash at 185 pounds between Brendan Allen and Chris Curtis. Now, this is a fight where I feel like Chris Curtis is, I don't think he's UFC ready. That's going to sound odd to say after watching what he did to Phil Hawes, right? But if you watch that fight, Hawes was dominating him dom and everything was working for him right and Hawes didn't even really Haas is primarily a wrestler didn't even really start getting he, he would faint with some level takes and st- level changes and stuff like that but never really committed to a takedown so you get this like i understand what Hawes was going for too because he really was lighting him up on the feet i mean everything was coming straight down the pipe the punches were working the kids were kicks were working everything was working for him but I think he fell in love with the striking aspect a little bit too much. And at the end of the day in a fight, I always favor you taking it to where you have the biggest advantage, right? Chris Curtis is clearly still a talented boxer, has a little bit of an unorthodox style. And as the first round wore on, he found an opening, right? Even though he wasn't throwing hardly any offense, was getting backed up the entire time. When he finally did let it go, he found home for the left hand. And it fucking rocked Phil Haws, And he jumped on it, took advantage, and got the finish. But... It wasn't like Chris Curtis went out and finessed Phil Haas. He caught him, right? And not that catching them doesn't count to me. Like, I don't, I'm not necessarily a believer in luck. Like, it was a read. He threw it, and Haas happened to be out of position, got caught, and fuck, man, there you go, right? That's how you end up there. But at the same time, he didn't give you the impression that he's going to be able to control a fight like against a high level guy for a long period of time. And the problem with Brendan Allen is that Brendan Allen is very straight down the pipe with things. I think his striking has come a long way. I think he understands range a little bit better. I think he uses his kicks very effectively. You're going to see like some of the success that Haas had with the kicks against Chris Curtis. I think Brendan Allen's going to find that same sort of success with the front kick that he likes to throw. He slides out of range of things and counters well. And one thing that you've seen from Chris Curtis throughout his career is that he struggles to defend the takedown a little bit, and Brendan Allen is very talented on the ground right tapped out kevin holland has a first round ankle lock victory over carl Robertson and not his last fight but the fight before that so man and another thing to consider in this fight is that brendan allen has a lot of experience fighting southpaws right uh paul punaheles Sariano, who most recently defeated southpaw carl Robertson, southpaw and chris curtis is a southpaw so he's seen this look before right It's not that Chris Curtis doesn't have a chance, but I just think that also when you look at his career, he had a small stint in PFL where he went one and four, two losses to the same guy, right? Magomed, Magomed Karamov, I believe. Um, Knocked out by Ray Cooper, who's one of like the, he's kind of like the guy who I think of at 174 PFL, right? He's kind of like their, I don't know. I know they have more, he's kind of like their big name over in PFL. I think about Ray Cooper for some reason and Kayla Harrison, obviously, but Went one and four there, released. And then a lot of his fights, guys, have been in lower level organizations. And you watch this bout that he had in XMMA2 back in July against Kenny Robertson. It's not that Kenny... What makes me nervous is that I felt like Kenny Robertson... I felt like that's a fight where Chris Curtis has to get this guy out of there if you're an elite level fighter. Kenny Robertson's a little bit older. His movement looked very stiff to me. His technique was a little bit lacking, but he still found a way to use his unorthodox style to like find some effectiveness in the striking. I don't think Kenny Robertson could have found that success against a guy like Brendan Allen, right? And again, it's not like Chris Curtis can't land. It's not like he can't box. If Allen gets into a firefight with this guy and hangs out in the pocket too much, he might end up getting clipped and knocked out. But... Brendan Allen has some good power. I think he's a little bit more down the pipe with things. I think his footwork is a little bit more sophisticated. I think he's going to mix it up and throw kicks. And I think he's a better grappler, right? So for all those reasons, I'm leaning Brendan Allen. I think he's going to tap him out or it's going to be a pretty dominant unanimous decision win with Chris Curtis maybe throwing in some sprinkles of things where you're like, oh, maybe he makes it interesting. But overall, I just like the ability for Brendan Allen to maintain the distance, use his footwork, counter things, pull out, like I said, pull out of range and return fire, then get out of the way again. He's just going to do better at all that. And I think he controls the fight. And then he makes, as he gets working on the feet, I think he starts to mix in his wrestling. And that's where you're really going to see Curtis start to struggle, struggle with the layers of complexity that Brendan Allen has to do his game. Right. So I like Brendan Allen in this fight. Um, you know, uh, I, I just think that the level of competition that he's fought is a little bit more competitive than Chris Curtis. And, uh, Yeah, like, I hate to call it luck, but, you know, Chris Curtis gets his win over Phil Hawes, and it feels like he kind of caught him. It doesn't feel like if the fight had continued to go on for three rounds that he would have, like, beaten Phil Hawes up or anything, or, like, the tides were really turning. It was pretty dominant on Hawes' ends before he got caught. So, for those reasons, I am going with Brendan Allen. Either second, second or third round submission or probably a decision victory. I think Chris Curtis is tough and is going to be hard to get out of there by knocking him out. So... I do think Allen has a big enough advantage on the ground that if he can get there and get to dominant position, i will finish him, though. All right, next is a light heavyweight matchup between number 13-ranked Jimmy Crew and number 14-ranked Jamal Hill. So let's start off talking about Jamal Hill. I think when you watch him, he's a he's got serious power in his hands, and when he starts stringing combinations together, he reminds me, not in the way that he throws or anything, but he reminds me a little bit of like, Sean Strickland in this regard. When he starts getting momentum going with his punches and realizing that he's hurting you, he really starts to pour it on and string his combinations together and mix things up, right? So like, it's like the more he lands, the more confidence that he gets. And when he starts landing, he's very hard to deal with. However, a couple things that make me a little bit nervous in this fight. Um, First off, in his fight against Paul Craig, he opted to go to the ground, Paul Craig hits kind of like an Uma Plata sort of sweep on him, locks up an arm bar, breaks his arm, gets him in a triangle and then wins the fight via TKO and via like some pretty vicious elbows, like using the triangle to secure him in place and his arms just flopping around. So that right there is a fight IQ problem. Like if your best chance to win is in the standup, I think he overestimated how well he would be able to do on the ground on top, got swept and got finished. Right? So that's a problem right there. Um, also, For Jamal Hill. You look at his fight against like OSP. Who by the way. Ovin St. Pru during their fight. He missed weight. And to me he just looked a little bit more lethargic than normal. Not that he's always like a fucking firecracker or anything. Bouncing around off the walls. But OSP just looked a little bit lethargic. And I think Jamal Hill capitalized on that. But Man, I think that he gets a little bit out of position with his footwork sometimes, right? And I think he overextends on things a little bit, gets a little bit too excited, um, fires from the hip a little bit too often. And, man, its I feel like Jamal Hill also finds a lot of his success by coming over top. I think he could do a lot. He could open things up for himself a lot more by mixing in more kicks, working the body a little bit more effectively, right? So... You've got those things going on. I mean, he's clearly dangerous. Knocks out Klitschko Cl- Abreu in the first round. That fight was overturned for marijuana, which is fucking bullshit. You can't tell me that win doesn't count. So the guy is clearly dangerous, right? 8-1-0 with one no contest. Really should be 9-1-0 then. But, you know, fuck. That's how it goes. He has clear knockout power. Is dangerous. But he's fighting a guy in Jimmy Cruz who... I think again, kind of the same story. The biggest difference, not the in the Brendan Allen one, I think you're going to see a little bit more. Str- I think in this fight here, Jimmy Crew is a guy who tapped Paul Craig out, right? Jimmy Crew is a guy who is a very aggressive wrestler, has knockout power, so, and he's willing to work his kicks a little bit more, you know. In his last fight against Anthony Smith, he was on the receiving end of that leg got all fucked up, and the fight ended up getting. St- I mean, he couldn't even stand on it when he goes back to the corner, right? So that was kind of an odd fight, but. In that fight, one thing you could take away from it is Anthony Smith was able to work the jab extremely effectively. So if Jamal Hill can kind of use his length, stay at range, and pop that jab out there and start frustrating Jimmy Crute, I think then the openings for him to throw combinations start coming into play. If he can't do that, though, Jimmy Crute has a lot of power. I mean, if you look at the way he knocked out Modesta's... uh, I have to read the name off here I forget it but the way he knocked him out with that overhand right was nasty Jimmy Crute can wrestle he has a good top game I think he's more competent in the grappling than uh, Jamal Hill and for that reason primarily I'm taking him I think that Jamal Hill you especially saw in um oh who did he fight let me um uh, let me pull it up I forget the guy's name Darko Stashek, I'm mispronouncing that, I'm sorry. But in that fight, you saw in the first round, right, that he struggles to defend the takedowns a little bit. In the third round, though, Darko was able to really pour the takedowns on and land quite a few of them. And, you know, the commentators were saying this is something that he clearly has to learn how to defend. So, it's not that – I think Jamal Hill has an advantage in the stand-up. If, if he can get his lead hand working and start coming over the top with things, I think he has a great chance to beat Jimmy Croup. However, I think the wrestling, right – and the power of Jimmy like The fact that um, Jamal Hill has a tendency to overextend on things a little bit. If Jimmy Crute can land and take advantage of one of those opportunities, he can absolutely put Jamal Hill out too, right? I do think Jamal Hill has a slight advantage on the feet in the boxing department. Um, You might see Jimmy Crute mix things up a little more though, and I think it would be smart for Jamal Hill to start mixing things up a little bit more as well. However, if you look at the problems that Jamal Hill has had on the ground, both defending the takedown and from the top and guard, where he struggled against Paul Craig and Jimmy Crute found success. I'm taking Jimmy Croot, man. He runs his legs through his takedowns super aggressively. And once he gets you there, he's a problem, right? Because he understands top position pretty well. He doesn't let guys get back up and he hunts for submissions. I got Jimmy Croot winning this one, but there are some things that Jamal Hill can do I think by keeping the fight in the center of the octagon, working his jab, starting to mix kicks in a little bit more frequently where he can win this fight and he has potential to win this fight. But all in all, I just think that Jimmy is a little bit too tough for him to deal with. All right, next, we are going to look at Clay Guida versus Leonardo Santos. Now, Leonardo Santos is an interesting case, right? Because he won the Ultimate Fighter Brazil years ago, but he's 41 years old right now, has a record of 18 and four, and his most recent or his most recent loss was to Grant Dawson in the third round KO, right? Before that, he beats Roman Bogatov in, back in 2020. And before that, knocks out Stevie Ray in the first round back in 2019. So this is also a guy who's speaking of Kevin Lee, knocked Kevin Lee out at UFC 194 back in December of 27, 26, 2015. Fuck, I can't remember what year I was there now, but it was the Aldo Aldo and McGregor fight. I I remember it very clearly. I was there, but I remember, I just can't remember the fucking date. But Leonardo Santos knocks out Kevin Lee, right? So I think that you, if you look at the odds, Leonardo Santos is a pretty heavy favorite in this fight. And I think that that's kind of off. If you look at Clay Guida, he's extremely, not extremely dangerous, but he's still throwing bombs. He's still moving around well. He's still, you know, He's a very hard guy to submit. He has good takedowns, and a lot of the times in a fight, right? Now, the one thing I want to caveat this with saying is that Clay Guida has also been submitted multiple times throughout his career. Maybe 10, right? Maybe something. Let me look it up and verify for you guys. But I know that he's susceptible to guillotines and rear naked jokes and stuff like that, especially early on in fights, right? Like the first, second round when you're still, uh,. When you're still dry. Yeah, he's lost 10 fights by submission, right? One of those was back in 2019 to Jim Miller. Uh, another one to Charles Oliveira back in 2018. Um, submitted by Tiago Tavares back in 2015, right? So he has a tendency to get submitted and get his neck caught up in things. My thing with this fight, though, is if you look at Leonardo Santos's career, like even when he fought Kevin Lee, things looked a lot more smooth to me right? And father time catches up with everyone. I think that if you look at Leonardo Santos, last two fights, they're concerning. Whereas Clay Guida kind of has this like style where he's like short and stocky and still kind of maintains his explosiveness as he ages, still moves while he's still, it might not all be technically perfect, but he can still fucking fight and bring a fight and bring a high intensity, right? It's not that Leonardo Santos can't, but I think he carries his hands a little bit low. I don't think that's as big of a problem early on in your career, but because you have a little bit quicker reflexes, but to me it looks like things are a little bit slow. I think even when they hit these grappling transitions and stuff, I think Weed is just going to be a step ahead of him in those spots because of the wrestling and his the the tenacity that Clay Guida brings to a fight. I think is really going to come through in this because, I, like I said, Santos just looks a beat behind on things to me. Like he's reacting to strikes a little bit too late. Um, even his transitions on the ground are just slightly delayed. Not what you would expect to see from a top-level fighter, right? And, I mean, he's 41 years old. Um, yeah, man, a, a very talented jujitsu player. But I just don't know if his style of jiu with his length and everything, is going to be enough to get Clay Guida out of there. I think Clay Guida isn't going to be afraid to wrestle this guy. And oftentimes, in a fight, the most important thing is Who's wrestling offensively and ending up on top? I think Clay Guida is going to be able to do that while avoiding the submission um, danger from Leonardo Santos. Like I said to me, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll go in here and look great. But when you watch him get knocked out by Grant Dawson just hanging out in open guard, like he got hit and it was like, his reactions just looked delayed to me. I don't know how else to There's like a hinge in his movement. And when he got knocked out by Grant Dawson, I was like, fuck, man. He should have been covering up, closing space off to his opponent, trying to get to a leg. And it it just looked like he got like stunned by it and like couldn't react in time. And then Dawson put the lights out, man. It's like I said. And then you look at the fight against Roman Bogatov even, right? And Bogatov kept doing stuff where he was spinning and presenting his back to Santos. And Santos would just wrap him up and take him down. You're not going to see that shit from Clay Guida. It's going to be a lot of movement, a lot of bouncing around, a lot of being content to move backwards, throwing big counters over the top, and then mixing in his wrestling. I think it's a hard style for Leonardo Santos to deal with. And I'm taking Clay Guida in this fight by decision. I think he's just going to beat Santos up. I don't think Santos is going to be able to keep up. I don't think he's going to react in time. And I think his cardio is going to start to fade, where his Guidas will get stronger. Also, when I was visiting San Diego, I ran into Clay Guida on the boardwalk on Pacific Beach. So I'm obligated to pick him. I really do think he's going to win, right? But I, I, I think Clay Guida has a really good chance to win this fight. I think the odds are wrong on this one. I just think the, stylistically he just matches up very well against uh, against Leonardo Santos. Both older guys, I mean, hey, Kligweed is 39 too, but like I said, there's just something about his style that translates a little bit better for his age than Santos as well, I believe. Santos relies on kind of being sharp and being a sniper a little bit with the strikes, right? Like landing that sharp right hand. I don't know if it's as sharp as it used to be and if it's going to be there as, you know, when you're looking for opportunities, the older, I feel like if you just brawl a little bit, it almost carries over because you're doing less thinking and more fighting. But when you're a technical guy and you rely on making reads, if if you're not reacting in time to those reads as you get older, I think it becomes harder and harder to land things successfully because just your style just doesn't keep up, right? So, I got Clay Guida. All right, next is a matchup that I'm very excited for. Um, Rafael Fiziev. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, Rav, I, I get confused. I know the American version is, you know. Rafael, and then whatever. I'm, I'm calling him Rafael Fiziev uh, versus number 12 ranked Brad Rydell. Now, Brad Rydell is 10 and one, same record as how Rafael Fiziev. But I think that when you look at the two, they have a very strong kickboxing background, right? Brad Rydell working at a city kickboxing with all of those guys over there, really good footwork and stuff. Rafael Fiziev I think is working with Sanford MMA, right? And they both they both train together, I believe, in Thailand with like Tiger MMA or fight team or whatever, or kick, whatever, right? But I think that when you watch them, the biggest di- they're both, like I said, very talented, very technical. Brad Rydell comes in a lot, throws the over sets up the overhand right well, mixes elbows in well. I think the biggest difference maker in this fight is gonna be the power of Rafael Fiziev. I think that also, on top of the power and the ferociousness that he throws his strikes with, it's his willingness to work the body. I think that Brad Rydell gets caught up headhunting a little bit, gets a little bit too boxing heavy with things, and has a tendency to forget about putting in the body work. Fiziev never forgets about that, right? When you watch, one of his most powerful strikes, I think, is his kicks to the body, those roundhouse kicks. I mean, he throws them in there, and when he lands them, They have some serious fucking snap on them, like, well, pap, well, pap, over and over and over again. And when you're getting your body beat up and your legs beat up, religiously, it wears on you over the course of the fight, right? So I think that really, you know, we could, I I couldn't even, like, their their, their striking is extremely high level. I would never do it justice by trying to give some elaborate breakdown on it, right? But I think the main difference maker that you're going to see in this fight is, Rafael Fiziev's willingness to attack the body and willingness to attack the legs and willingness to just mix his kicks and everything up in general. Like I said, both guys have great footwork. Both guys have great counters. Both guys have great timing. Both move their head a lot and then slide out of range and come back over top with the right hand very well. They both throw with authority, right, when they throw their punches. However, I just think that Fiziev has a little bit of Not a little bit. I think uh, on a more consistent basis, he works every piece of the human body with his kicks, right? It's not like he's just picking and choosing. Like, oh, I'm going to the body over and over. He'll mix in the... These openings are available to him because he mixes things up so often. And I really think that's the difference maker in this fight is the ability for... Fizyev to attack different parts of the body and mix things up. Both are going to throw combinations while both are going to have good head movement. But I think the person, the fighter that really emphasizes on body and leg work in this fight is going to win. And I just think that because Fiziev has done it throughout his career, his UFC tenure so far, a little bit more often than Riddell has. Uh, I think you're going to see Fiziev be able to implement it in a fight in real time a little bit more effectively, because I think Rydell is gonna to have to think about doing it, whereas kind of just kinda does it. Another thing to keep your eye on here is that Rydell has struggled with the takedowns in the past a little bit. Uh, he gets controlled in certain situations. He usually works his way back up to his feet, and he can get to an advantageous position himself, but he's not really great at controlling it, right? Like, or um, defending it initially. He will get put on his back. And I think that Fiziev is a little bit stronger in that department and a little bit of an offensive, a bit a little bit of a better offensive wrestler, right? So a lot of the times when you see two guys who have a very similar skill set and they both sense danger in each other's game in their preferred like method, like if they both want to stand, but they both know that the other guy is very dangerous in that department as well, and that this is a high risk game, a lot of the times the better wrestler or grappler will win. And I think that's Fiziev. Um so, you know, if Rydell does start to get ahead in the striking department, I, you have seen Fiziev work takedowns before in the past. I think he'll be more willing to do that and control things on the ground against Rydell. So for the fact that Fiziev, I think, attacks the body and legs a little bit more religiously, throws his kicks with some serious intent, and just mixes things up a little bit better across, you know, each level of the body. Like I said, head, body, legs. I think Fiziev wins. And if all of that stuff starts going south, a lot of the times, like I said, in these matchups where you got two people or you think it's going to be a stand up banger fight, I think Fiziev has a little bit of an advantage in offensive wrestling as well. So for all those reasons, I'm taking Fiziev. I think the key for Rydell is maybe to get, like I said, I can't emphasize enough the importance of the body work, especially because Fiziev throws with so much ferocity early on in fights that he has a tendency to fade a little bit like he did in the third round against Bobby Green. Bobby Green clearly won the third round against him, right? And the second was close. So if Rydell can stay calm, throw shots to the body, and be patient and accept the fact that you're maybe going to have to eat some big shots and weather this storm, you might see Rydell start to take over in the second and third round if he's a little bit smarter with his output. So another dynamic to keep, you know what I mean? And then that wrestling that we were talking about earlier, if Rydell's starting to take over, it won't matter as much. So Fiziev has to be careful. You have to find a balance, right, between these gifts that you're given with this power and making sure that you don't wear yourself out before the end of the fight. So, again, I still have Fiziev, but there are things that Rydell could capitalize on, such as, the, the like I said, how the output that Fiziev puts out early in fights. If he gets tired, man, you you might start to see Rydell take over in the second and third round because I think his striking is a little bit more sophisticated than Bobby Green's. He's a little bit more boxing heavy, right? So fuck, we'll see. I got Fiziev, but this is a very interesting fight and one that I think is really kind of a coin flip. I think the odds are pretty correct on this one. It's going to be interesting to see who comes out on top. A lot of different dynamics at play for that fight. All right. And finally, we've worked our way up to the headliner between number four ranked Rob Font and number five ranked Jose Aldo. Uh Jose Aldo moves down to 135 pounds, right? And he fights Marla Marais. Loses a split decision that a lot of people thought he won. I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was very close. I think that you know Marla Moraes looked very good in the first round in particular because he's so explosive, and then Jose Aldo probably won two and three in my eyes. However, right, doesn't matter. Moves on And he's probably one of the only fighters, there's probably another one, one of the only fighters I can think of that loses their debut bout at that weight class at 135 pounds. And then the very next fight, he fights Piotr Jan for the vacant UFC Bantamweight Championship. And Piotr Jan, man, just puts it on Jose Aldo, right? And it's kind of the same thing that you saw from Max Holloway, right? Where Jose Aldo finds a little bit of success here and there. Holloway's winning the fight for the majority of the round, right? Like controlling everything. And then as it gets deeper and deeper into the rounds, you start to see Holloway come on stronger. And that's exactly what happened to Piotr Jan as well. As things started to creep into the fourth and fifth rounds, right? Holloway starts getting a little bit tired, has a little bit of trouble dealing with that pressure when he can't keep it off him, right? So he loses to Piotr Jan, fifth round TKO. Piotr Jan takes the uh, bantamweight Championship and Aldo moves on to pick up two more victories over Marlon Cheetah Vera, who's a very promising up and coming prospect, and then Pedro Munoz, who is also no joke, right? So Aldo's back on the winning track going into this fight against Rob Font. However, I think when you look at Rob Font, he's a bad motherfucker, man. Like, incredibly talented, very long, and a lot of guys who are long don't know how to use their length and their reach. Rob Font does. He works the jab well, and when he starts finding home for the jab, he doubles up on it, starts bringing the right hand over top. He moves well. And if you watch this fight against like Cody Garbrandt, he kept constant, constant pressure on Cody Garbrandt throughout the entire fight, right? And we were just talking about how Aldo struggles with that as the fight tends to wear on. And that's one of the main things I was looking for in the Rob Font versus Garbrandt fight. Five rounds, right? What does Rob Font do After he's won, in my opinion, the first first round was maybe closer. But let's say he's up three rounds to one. What does he look like in the fifth round when the victory is pretty much all secured? Does he keep pushing for it and hunting for it? And he did, right? He didn't get it, but he did. He kept coming forward, kept the pressure on Cody, kept him backing up, constantly working out his lead hands. He throws elbows in there nicely. He faints with the uppercut. And a lot of the times, man, Aldo will like dip his head. A little. I think Aldo leaves himself open to be countered a little bit when he's coming in for those body shots. And Aldo has that upright sort of like he keeps his hand high and stands upright, but he's been primarily boxing, right? So he's holding this tie stance, but he's not really kicking a whole lot and mixing the kicks in. So, I think that Aldo is also going to leave his torso open. And Rob Font does a great job, a great job of throwing front kicks to the body and using it as a range finder and just digging it in over and over. So again, I think the fact that like Aldo is gonna have a high stance and that he's gonna be up on like kind of his toes in a Muay Thai stance, but primarily boxing is gonna leave room for him to be countered, especially to the body. And I think that body, we're talking a lot about body work on this card. I think that body work, in the fourth and fifth round is going to make it very difficult for jose aldo and like i said i think you look at rob font hey rob font's also a finisher guys 34 years old he's been in the game for a long time 19 and 4 8 wins by knockout 4 by submission 12 of his 19 wins are finishes right and uh you know he knocked out marlon marias before garbrandt has knockout wins over thomas almeida and matt schnell i mean the guy's no joke and he's a submission threat like he has submissions too but like you don't really see it at the UFC level so much. Like that that stuff kind of tends to happen earlier in your career, right? So not really looking for him to go out and submit Jose Aldo or He might wrestle him and, uh, you know, because also Aldo, like his his takedown defense is very good, but once he's there, I think you can control him a little bit and stuff, right? And pour some offense on him. Uh, So I don't think that necessarily comes into play a lot. I think Font's going to prefer to keep it on the feet, but I really... As good as Aldo is and as good as he's looked at 135 pounds, I really just feel like this is like Rob Font is on his career trajectory is taking him towards the title, right? And I think it's hard for Aldo to get back there right now. And I just think that Rob Font is going to be able to hold this fight at his range, work the jab, take advantage of the high guard that Jose Aldo is going to hold, work kicks to the body, work punches to the body. And when he starts stringing together combinations, man, he starts landing effectively and very accurately. So I just think that Aldo's going to have a hard time getting inside where he needs to. And when Aldo does tend to go inside, he uses big explosive movements and that big rip to the body, right? Like, and he steps in. I think those are opportunities where Font's going to be a little bit quicker and counter him in those situations. So you're going to start to see problems mount up and Aldo's going to get into a bigger and bigger hole and I think as the fight wears on, he's just not going to have any answers for all of the variety that Rob Font's holding at him. He's not going to have a way to close off the distance. And I think Rob Font picks up the finish in like the third round in this fight. I think that his length and everything, the pressure he puts on him, the snap that he has on his punches, his willingness to work the body, and just all of those things I think are going to lead to a win for uh For Rob Font. I think he looks good in this fight. I think he finishes Aldo. And like I said, I think he just constantly brings the pressure and keeps Aldo at bay. So let's do a quick recap of this card and then we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, I'm taking Brendan Allen over Chris Curtis. I just think his striking's a little bit more sophisticated and he's way ahead in the grappling. Clay Guida over Leonardo Santos. Again, Santos is a guy who I just don't think his style translates like along with his age very well, right? Like they just don't go hand in hand. Clay Guida, I think his style fits his age a little bit better, if that makes sense. Uh, I got Jimmy Crute beating Jamal Hill mainly because of the wrestling. But if Jamal Hill can f- start working that lead hand a little bit, right? Touching Jimmy Crute and then bringing things over top, mixing in some leg kicks and stuff. To le- And you saw Jimmy Cruz recently struggle with leg kicks, right? I'd be attacking those legs again. You could see Jamal Hill get the win, but I think Jimmy Cruz is gonna rely on his wrestling in this fight especially considering how easily you've seen Hill taken down in the past. Uh, so I got Jimmy Crute in that one. I got Rafael Fiziev beating Brad Rydell, but this is a really fucking close fight. I just think that the variety that Fiziev attacks with, particularly with his kicks, is going to give him an advantage in this fight, as well as the wrestling. I think he wrestles a little bit better than Brad Rydell. Um, you've seen Fiziev get on the offense with his wrestling here and there, and Rydell primarily on the defense. So leaning towards Fiziev there, and like I said, oftentimes two high-level strikers come together and the better grappler wins. So for those two reasons, I'm going Fiziev. but Rydell, if he can land some shots of his own, work the body, weather the early storm of Fiziev and all that output, you might see him turn it on in the second and third round and start to take over. So interesting dynamics at play here, but I got Fiziev, And then Rob Font, I think, is just going to be too much with his jab, with his reach with his work to the body, that front kick. I just think everything is going to overwhelm Jose Aldo in like the third or fourth round, and you're going to see Font pick up a TKO victory. So I think that does it. We covered some of the news that's out and circulating right now. Got through all the five fights on this card. Like I said, I don't know if it's going to be like Brian Barberina versus Darian Weeks as the sixth fight on the main card, or whether it's going to be Mickey Gall versus Alex Morano. I don't know, but either way, I appreciate you guys tuning in. If you guys enjoyed the content, do me a favor, give it a like, subscribe, all that fucking good shit that I have to ask you guys to do. And uh, otherwise, enjoy your day. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and uh, have a good one. Bye-bye.